Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast, the show that brings leading minds to discuss the latest challenges and trends transforming and modernizing the energy systems and the utility industry of the future. And a quick thank you to Franklin Energy, our sponsor of today's show. Now, let's talk energy. Matt, we're talking about the importance of energy affordability today and what working towards that goal looks like for the power sector. Can you share a bit of the background on this for us? You're right, Jason. Energy affordability, it's always been a critical topic, but it started shining even more in the spotlight amid the pandemic's impact to the economy and more recently, the record levels of inflation. Uh, These factors, they combine to really highlight the energy burden many working families must deal with and and how tenuous their energy budgets actually are. According to Bloomberg, it's 61% of Americans currently living paycheck to paycheck, which, you know, that's been exasperated in disadvantaged communities as well. So, you know, too many households are are realistically forced to make the, the impossible decision between paying their power bill and putting food on the table. And for that reason, looking holistically as a nation at the state of energy affordability, it's it's really never been more important. Thanks for that background, Matt. But we all recognize the inherent value of shifting to an equitable energy system, defined as one where the economic, health, and social benefits of participation extend to all levels of society, regardless of ability, race, or socioeconomic status. But achieving energy affordability won't simply happen. Rather, it requires intentionally designing systems, technology, procedures, and policies that lead to the fair and just distribution of benefits in the energy system. To expand on these critical topics, we have with us today, Jim Maddy, the CEO of Franklin Energy. Jim has loads of experience in the design and implementation of energy efficiency and renewable energy solutions, working with utilities nationwide to make energy affordable for all audiences. As a leader in this area, Jim has long sought to bring about the clean energy transition doing so in a way that would benefit all. And he brings with him a wealth of experience in this realm, having previously served stints as the CEO of Vermont Energy Investment Corporation and Chief Customer Officer at National Grid. So with that, let's bring in our guest, Jim Maddy. Welcome to today's episode of Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast. Thank you, Jason, and thank you, Matt, for having me on. Appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Jim, before we dig into the questions, set the stage for those who may not be familiar with Franklin Energy and the work you do. Uh, Sure thing. Thank you for the question. So Franklin Energy has been around for about 25 years, you know, started out of the Midwest with a handful of utilities and and an entrepreneur kind of out of his garage. And today, you know, we're over a thousand people serving 75 utility clients with multiple different kind of offerings to market. You know, the primary business model is is a utility-facing services company. So what that means is utilities uh, bid out, you know, different program designs, whether it be residential, multifamily, commercial, and industrial. And we uh, win those programs, usually for multiple years. And then we execute on their game plan to help their clients achieve cost savings measures. So, you know, a simple example of that is, a, you know, a, a program out of Chicago that targets multifamily 
weatherization initiatives. And we go into, you know, whatever, 2,000 homes over the course of a year uh, and help people uh, weatherize their homes and save money on leaking energy and ultimately save costs on their bills. So, you know, we do that at scale across the country, like I said, across 75 different partnerships. Terrific. You know, we're going to talk about energy affordability. That's why we brought you in to talk further about this. So, you know, we know that federal energy programs targeting low-income communities have existed for decades, but are those not sufficient? What would need to change? And why is energy affordability still such a relevant topic today? It's a really good question and a really well-structured question. I think Matt said, you know, 61% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And I am absolutely positive, as Matt mentioned, that was before the inflation uh, and crazy uh, cost pressures we're seeing on every aspect of our life. So food cost increases, you know, transportation cost increases, et cetera. And while federal programs like LIHEAP and, you know, the Weatherization Assistance Program have been around, ultimately they only help a very small percentage of households and have not been able to substantially reduce the energy burden disparity between low-income houses and higher-income houses. Uh, low-income households in the U.S. continue to deal with an average energy burden more than twice the national average, more than three times greater than the average for high-income households. Also, the market has changed. Federal programs use an income scale for qualifying utility customers into these programs, and the reality is it's just not how it works. And there are many families below the property line that are just struggling to cover their energy bills. Finally, with recent legislation, states and utilities now face an even greater imperative to re reduce greenhouse gas emissions, which will ultimately go to higher income homes, bigger households, et cetera. What we're seeing is historical underperformance in this sector. And I personally don't see uh, the regulatory community acting consistently to ensure we have flexible solutions that meet these customers where they are. Right. And so, Franklin, you know, you're the boots on the ground, so you're interacting with customers on a daily basis and people who are being impacted by this. So when you're having these kinds of conversations around energy affordability, are you seeing it evolve into conversations around energy equity? Are we talking about, you know, more than just bringing the monthly bills down? Or do you see the, the conversation extending beyond cost savings into other areas? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. We use the term in one of my prior management training things, you know, that's kind of a blinking word, right? What that means is if you tell it to 10 people, you're going to hear 10 different answers. My response is energy affordability and energy equity are basically the same thing. You know, they may have different nuances, but at the end of the day, they're the same thing. What I would say is low income, even moderate income consumers. So with the pressure of inflation, the line is going up, meaning middle class are struggling even more with energy equity. And with policy changes like decarbonization and advanced energy efficiency program design, what you're seeing is a more complexity in helping serve these customers and a grid design and a grid structure that will continue to push the burden down to them. And I'll just give you an example. If a high income zip code northeast of Lowell, Mass, uh, that's on the same feeder as Lowell, goes EV with storage, where do you think the burden from that cost of that grid is going to fall? It's going to fall to all the other clients on that grid. Now, rate making isn't that simple, but at the end of the day, the utility gets paid to cover the cost structure of operating a system. 
And if certain consumers go off that system, it pushes the cost structure to other consumers. When people talk about energy equity, I think what the fear is, is that over time, that problem is going to get exacerbated and multiplied and compounded to the detriment of of those people who can least afford to deal with it. I want our audience to be aware here that Jim and I have never had this conversation before, but I was actually born in Lowell, Massachusetts. And of all the cities in the country that he could pick out to talk about as a case study, he chose the one that I was born in. Very interesting. (laughs) You know, Lowell has for years struggled with, and and I was part of the design of the National Grid Energy Efficiency Programs, or at least implementation of them. And Lowell has said for years that they've been working to ensure that they get their unfair share. You know, I know National Grid is, has restructured some things to support them. So this isn't about National Grid. You know, it's also about regulators and, and other people in program design. You know, and, and it's not an isolated incident to Lowell. It's just it's an example that I'm a little bit familiar with. All right. So you have a national practice. So you see things 20,000 foot, what's going across at every you know, sort of every corner of the country. But we're not a homogenous power system, right? We operate differently from state to state, from utility to utility. Um, so can you share with the audience some examples that you would say was doing better or do, or maybe a bit more progressive? Are you seeing those? And is a certain are they clustering in certain parts of the country or is it across the board? Can you maybe talk about that? What I would say is in, you know, economies in the Midwest, you know, that don't have, you know, large business tax bases, you know, what you see is program designs that meet more of the needs of more constituents. You know, where I think it gets complex is where there are multiple constituents, multiple rate classes, you know, different standards of living. I have not personally seen an example of where that's being done as well as it could be. I think everybody's trying. I think we need to double down on this effort. I think the regulators, the Utilities and the program administrators and, and implementation companies all need to come together. Frankly, we need to engage more in the minority community as an implementation entities for this work, which I know some utilities are trying to. And, and what that does, Jason, is it creates different outreach methods, different education programs than are typical or traditional. And, and I personally just think using MBEs as a part of this solution is a great move. I would compliment ComEd out of the Midwest. You know, they put a part of their requirements to be 40% of spend going through minority-owned enterprises. And that, that I think, helps, you know, get better jobs and, and, like I said, get rid of better marketing, better outreach, and better implementation solutions. So, you know, I see pockets of it, but I, I just feel very strongly that we're underperforming what we're capable of in this particular area. All right. Well, that's a good segue into my next question, because basically, you know, COVID has rewritten the rules in some respects of how what's going on. So if you were to basically put together the guidebook or the playbook, if you will, on on how to put together the right program for disadvantaged communities in a certain service area, could you describe that to us? What would it look like? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would say is, you know, tackling energy affordability offers immense benefits to these communities, you know, beyond cost savings on their household energy bills. Investing in energy efficiency, investing in renewables and other climate programs, you know, provide them with improved air quality, healthier homes. Like I said in my answer to the MBEs, they create job creation. Frankly, it's an education offering. You know, if you remember how energy efficiency started, it was an engagement mechanism and it was an education mechanism because there's no real sexy way to talk about power bills. 
I also think disadvantaged communities face greater exposure to pollution and other factors. For example, pollution sources tend to be located near disadvantaged communities, increasing exposure to these harmful pollutants. Uh, they also see more traffic, which has localized greater concentration of uh, greenhouse gas emissions than other neighborhoods. So programs dedicated to energy efficiency and clean energy go to great lengths in reducing these pollutants. And energy efficiency and clean energy programs in non-residential buildings in disadvantaged communities such as schools, healthcare facilities, also offer tremendous benefits to these communities. It can reduce capital, maintenance costs, uh, and other you know, just basic costs of running these facilities and ultimately reduce bills and put more money into patient care. You know, so I just feel strongly that these buildings can spend a lot more of their money and time benefiting the communities that they serve. Lastly, I think energy efficiency and clean energy increases job creation in these low to moderate income communities. Utilities can use this benefit to create workforce development programs. I've seen this working in upstate New York. These newly trained workers will then use these skills to benefit their communities, potentially, you know, rent another apartment building, you know, increase occupancy, whatever different factors that creates. Utilities, the success of these newly trained workers is perfectly aligned with their goal of creating a labor pool into new sources of talent, which was previously unavailable to them, to continue the work to advance critical climate goals. That's a pretty detailed framework. Thank you for sharing that. So what role does the regulatory landscape play in all of this? To be candid, I think the intention is there at all levels of the system, meaning I think the regulators, you know, want to solve this problem and understand the problem. I think the utilities, you know, want to continue to work towards these solutions. And I think, you know, the implementation companies, as you can hear from me, are well aware of the problem and have a ton of passion in trying to solve it. I think the regulatory frameworks that exist today have been somewhat narrowly defined, meaning go into this many houses and fix the lighting, go into this many houses and fix the air leakage, weatherization, you know, the uh, blower door test type of activities. What I think in this community, this set of communities, when you think about it differently, the education is much harder. The outreach and marketing is much more costly. The efficacy because of the building stock is difficult. So it's more costly. But let's just say, just give you a different example. I find a client that understands it and is interested in doing multiple things. I would like to see the regulatory community very specifically allow implementation companies and hence utilities to mix and match measures so that we can do as much work as possible to help any client that is interested in getting the help. And then we'll figure out a way to measure it correctly and, you know, and EM and V it so that it meets the program design criteria. So in short, I'd like to see more flexibility on implementation and specifically cross-program implementation. All right. Well, we're looking to keep these energy affordability topics top of mind while simultaneously spending immense capital to build out the clean energy economy. So are these divergent goals and how does the nation's transition to a clean energy economy affect energy affordability? A lot of research has been done on this topic. According to the EPA, the transition to a cleaner energy future will help low to moderate and fixed income Americans lower their electric bills by an average of 8%. Beyond that, transitioning to clean energy will create a more resilient power grid, 
making energy safe and reliable for all communities. As a result, that brings even more benefits to disadvantaged communities. We're familiar with how record-breaking weather seen more and more frequently across this country is creating citywide blackouts, other uh, hurricane and other uh, wildfire and other related catastrophes. You know, in Texas, we saw households that didn't lose power with energy bills as high as $6,000 due to the peak in energy demand. You know, to me, doing nothing isn't sustainable. Transitioning to a clean energy future is the key to a more sustainable future. And reducing the energy disparity between low and, and high income households. I think clean energy is a job creation mechanism. It lowers costs and improves pollution in these communities. In my mind, I don't think they're divergent. I don't understand how you don't uh, focus on this as a mechanism to solve the problem. Right. I think a lot of people would agree with that. I know your answers to a lot of the questions we've discussed come from firsthand experience and how Franklin Energy has designed and implemented low-income programs. So can you share with the audience, what's the process look like when a utility approaches you about helping achieve energy affordability in the communities that they serve? Yeah, obviously it differs by utility. You know, it differs by the different types of utilities, right? So you have like an, an IOU, a large IOU is going to be different than a municipal utility. But generically speaking, you know, the first thing we do is look at the programs currently offered uh, and the target uh, client base of those offerings. We then look at the regulatory landscape and the goals of the regulators for the communities uh, and the states that we're talking about. Uh, we look at the budget. Uh, we look at the historical cost to achieve metrics. They're pretty well documented across this sector. And then we look at unique factors within these communities, you know, geographic reach, you know, density, those kind of things. And then we custom build programs from there that are as cost effective as possible, uh, yet that meet the goals of the utility and the communities that they serve. Uh, we also look to the timeline of those goals. And oftentimes, utilities have pretty tight deadlines to accomplish these goals. And in that case, we do, you know, an advanced program startup or a kind of an accelerated startup program with implementation strategies that generate savings quickly and then create branch out or extensions of the programs that bring additional savings to different, you know, harder to reach parts of the uh, program design. Each utility has unique circumstances, as I said at the beginning, but ultimately energy affordability comes down to hitting every customer one by one and coming to them with a solution that meets their needs based on the dynamics of the local area that we're doing business in. Got it. All right, Jim, I'm gonna give you the last word, but before we, we do, uh, we always ask our guests to go through what's called a lightning round, where it's an opportunity to get to learn a little bit more about Jim Maddie outside of the role of CEO. So Jim, we've got a few fun questions we wanna ask you. Are you ready? Absolutely. All Can right. I inject some comedy? Because this has been way too serious. <laughs> You're in control of what the response F phrase will be. So question number one, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? If I could have one superpower, I think it would be convincing people to do things quicker. What is your dream trip or vacation? About to go to Telluride skiing with my partner, with my fiance. So uh, I would say I have to put that on top of the list because if she listens to this and I don't say that, I think I'd be in trouble. Okay. Well, what's your go-to late night snack? I go to bed at nine o'clock, Jason. I'm old now. So I'm on 9 to 9.30 at night, 5 a.m. person. So I don't think I even qualify for late night snack status. Got it. All right. Well, putting uh, skiing aside, what's your favorite way to spend your time off? 
I have two college-age kids. We spend time boating and golfing. So uh, either taking them, you know, surfing or water skiing or taking them out to play around a golf. And fortunate my parents are alive. And, and so we get to spend time where my parents and my kids and uh, me and my brother all go play golf together, which is kind of cool. Very nice. And lastly, what are you most optimistic about? The passion that everybody in this sector has to make all the things we talked about a reality, right? The people of Franklin Energy come to work every day with such a passion, energy, and confidence that we can make a difference. I'm just thankful that I get to be a part of representing that team and, and super thankful that I get a chance to do what I do every day. It's an exciting time and, and there's a ton of passion. And if we all keep working, I know we can accomplish what we've all set out to accomplish. Nicely done. All right, Jim, you've tackled the uh, lightning round with flying colors. So uh, we're going to grant you the final word. So what's the last message you hope the utility audience listening in today takes away from this energy affordability conversation? I think there are many market participants here that want to find a way to help. And I think bringing us all together, large utility service implementation companies, minority-owned businesses, you know, the utility experts, you know, maybe with the regulators to try to target how to modify these programs and make some meaningful change in the short term would be something I would love to participate in if anybody was interested. Well, Jim, I want to thank you for this incredibly important and informative conversation. And as we continue to look forward in our industry towards the major topics that are often taking place in utility boardrooms, like clean energy, grid modernization, vehicle electrification, and more, Hopefully, we can take your lessons to ensure that energy affordability remains a central tenet of all action. So thanks again for your insight, and we look forward to you and our community members keeping these important conversations going at energycentral.com. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Matt. You can always reach Jim through the Energy Central platform where he welcomes your questions and comments. And on behalf of the entire Energy Central team, thanks to everyone for listening today. Further, we want to thank Franklin Energy for making today's episode possible. Franklin Energy is leading the clean energy transition by delivering innovative energy management resources to utilities, municipalities, businesses, and customers across the nation. Franklin Energy delivers turnkey energy efficiency programs to more than 60 utility and government partners across the United States and Canada. Their integrated in-house services provide depersonalization and insights helping energy partners achieve carbon reduction and energy productivity goals. Franklin Energy believes in a brighter future where cities are electrified energy and water affordability for everyone and career opportunities abound. Once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion, hopping into the community energy at energycentral.com, and we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast. Mm-hmm.